And this is Allie. And this is Get High. Muppet flail involved. There was. Mm-hmm. Ellie, how are you today? I'm good, Mal. How are you? I'm tired. My yeah. work has been extremely worky lately, and I even had a work nightmare that I forgot to change the date on an important document, and then I woke up, and then I remembered that that date didn't exist, and everything was fine. Mel, that sounds like a lot of work. There's there's a lot of work happening right it now. It sounds too worky. I would agree, but, you know... If I continue to do really well, I think that it will convince them to give me more money. So I'm going to keep doing my best. That's usually how work things work, right? Generally speaking, like, as far as I know. Yeah, on the whole. Hmm. Yeah, I had I had some work this week myself. Hmm. Interesting work, I, I find. One of the things that happened for me this week is... Uh, when I first got hired at the theme park where I work, uh, they asked me if I speak any foreign languages, and I took eight and a half years of French, and I won awards for my accent and my memorization, but I said at the time, no, I don't, because it's been such a long time since I've used my French, and uh, I thought I, it would be useless for me to s- try to pretend that I still speak it. Um, but sometime in the last two weeks... I have encountered so many French-speaking guests that needed my help, and I was in the exact right moment at the exact right time to help them with my French powers. And um, so I went to my bosses, and I got a little tag addition to my name tag that says, Je parle français, and I am now officially like using the French at work. Ooh, French powers activate. Yeah, I'm just like really proud of myself because it was a total situation of like, I don't know if I can help these people. And then I did because my my long dormant French superpower uh, was still with me. And I think that there's something to be said about, you know, trusting the skills that you have um, and trusting that if someone needs your help, you may surprise yourself with how much you can do for them. Ellie, I'm super proud of you. Thank you. I'm super proud of me, too. It was a big moment for me. So thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Who we got this week, Mel? Oh, gosh. Uh, We have a really cool friend who we got to meet. Oh, gosh. Was it two years ago at Gen Con for the first time? And we've been pretty good Twitter and I'd say life friends. And I can't wait to become better friends with my good buddy, Rich Howard. (gasps) Hey, everybody. Hey, Rich. Hi. Thank you for joining us. I'm super excited to be here. Thank you so much for being here, and thank you for wanting to hype us about stuff. Rich, for those of us listening along at home who are unfamiliar with your work and presence on the internet, (laughs) who are you and what do you do? (laughs) Uh, My name is Rich Howard. I am the co-host of a show called Whelmed, The Young Justice Files, which is a fan cast that breaks down the DC Comics animated series Young Justice. Uh, where we unravel the incredibly layered plots, uh, talk about the history of the characters from the comics uh, into the show, that we talk about the creative writing process, and uh, bring on guests to interview from a bunch of different professions who talk about the series and comic books and how they have inspired them in whatever their creative endeavors are. Uh, and I'm, I'm also a uh, game designer, 
And I've worked on a bunch of Pathfinder and D&D 5th Edition products that you can find on DriveThruRPG. And I'm currently the concept lead on a role-playing game called Descent into Midnight, uh, where mm-hmm. you play sentient creatures in an alien ocean who are defending their culture from a physical and existential threat. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, we are super excited about this game. I have uh, Taylor Labreche from the Leviathan Files, who is a fantastic human being, um, Richard Kreutz Landry, and uh, Brandon Leon Gambetta, who you might know from Passion de las Passiones, that is uh, currently out uh, with his Power by the Apocalypse game. I am, I'm so, I'm hype about that. What's the time frame for that? That sounds cool. Um, we are doing some more play tests at Gen Con this year. And then Great. Um, we're going to kind of see what's going on. I know Taylor is getting our play test document together for uh, April. I think late April should have some public play tests so that we can send it out to people who are interested to um, give us some feedback and that kind of thing. So um, we've got some great art. You can see stuff at Descent into Mid- it's, uh, DescentIntoMidnight.com or on um, Twitter. We're at D-I-M- RPG, and you can see some of the cool artwork we've got up there. Heck yeah, absolutely! I'm gonna have to sign up for one of those play tests. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, please do. I'll be there, and Taylor will both be there at Gen Con this year doing play tests. And I think Richard's gonna be at Akatacon this year doing play tests. I think uh, Akatacon oh, cool. or Metatopia. I can't remember which one he's going to. Metatopia is the big play testing one, so it might yeah, be that one. Yeah, I think Taylor might be going to Metatopia and Gen Con, and Richard might be going to Akatacon. I don't. I can't mm. keep track of their schedules. I barely keep cool. track of my schedule. I'm glad I made it. I'm glad I made it online right now. I'm very proud of you. Thanks. We, we all have small wins right now. <laughs> I'm proud of Allie as well. Congratulations on the French. Thank That's you. Feel like you feel like you can help. Yeah. Well, I was I was telling my my bosses at work that it's like, you know, when you're a kid, you're like, oh yeah, my superpower would be flight. My superpower would be invisibility. <laughs> my superpower would be I could turn into a jet you know, whatever. But like, as an adult, I'm like, I would literally <laughs> commit crimes if somebody could give me the power to permanently understand all languages and mm. speak them back perfectly. Yeah. Like, that would be the greatest superpower of them all, in my opinion, because there's nothing that makes people feel bad about other people than not feeling understood or heard. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know? No. That's one of my genie lamp wishes. Yeah. All languages. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I would I, I would it. commit some crimes for that, probably. Um <laughs> well, in addition to many other superpowers uh that Superboy has on Young Justice, one of them is that power. Yeah. Oh. Dude, he Young was, Justice is so good. He was uh he was programmed uh from birth since he was genetically engineered and they downloaded every known language into his head so he can understand and speak everything which is a crazy twist on superman for me i love it mm, that's yeah. super cool but that's not what i'm here to talk about <gasps> oh rich what are you what are you what are you <laughs> hype about do tell i was hype about a bunch of stuff that we were talking about and then i had to go back to my roots um blue planet 2 was just released which is a documentary uh released by the bbc and it is mind-blowing um, I have a degree in marine biology. My first love was uh, marine biology. I have a degree from UC Santa Cruz um, before I got into what I do now, which is nursing uh, and creative writing. Um, the stuff that they're able to show us now with the technology that we have is rewriting how we understand everything. Ooh. Uh, it is 
crazy. And when you have, like, the original Blue Planet uh, documentary came out about, uh, gosh, when was that? About two th- early 2000s. So it was, it's been at least a decade. Um, and at the time, it was mind-blowing. And now we have, like, you know, whatever, these 4K HD plug it into your brain television sets and all of <laughs> right. the stuff that, you know, the, the cameras that they have to use to see some of the stuff is just like, it's, it's blowing my mind. It's just blowing my mind. And then I started watching it and I was like, I can't, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta hype about it. I gotta hype about it all about oh how gosh. much I, I have a, um, I have a column on a website called tribality called from the depths where I talk about the use of aquatic settings for role-playing games and, and writing and that kind of stuff. And then I want to see more and more and more of that. And, um, a lot of it comes from this cause I grew up in a, I grew up in a small town in Kentucky. So it's pretty landlocked closest I got to any water <laughs> yeah. was the Ohio river, which is caught fire one time. Like it's just not, oh, it's wow. not good. Like it's <laughs> not a good spot for, like catfish and that's about it so um when i right before i graduated from high school my parents moved out to california um and i moved out here and i went to community college and i got accepted to uc santa cruz but the reason why i wanted to go there is because there was a marine biologist named um uh ken norris who had written an article that i had read when i was a sophomore in high school in kentucky talking about the natural history of of dolphins um and reading about marine mammals and understanding how they are exactly like the, us and entirely alien at exactly the same time, um, I couldn't, I, I, had to, I had to go there. Um, and so my dad um, hit a bunch of things that happened uh, in the industry that he works in. So uh, his company went under, and, but he's really good at what he does. And so he got hired by a company in, in California. And one of the reasons he took that particular job as opposed to some of the other ones, because he knew I wanted to go to Santa Cruz. So I, I give him hats off for that. And so I came out, went to community college, went to Santa Cruz. And by the time I got there, though, because that's where Ken Norris worked. By the time I got there, unfortunately, he had retired the quarter before mm-hmm. I got there. Um, the upside of that story is he lectured in one of my classes and I got a chance to talk to him afterwards. And then he invited me up to his ranch for lunch and had this wonderful conversation with this guy. And he's known as the, the grandfather of marine mammal natural history. And part of the reason for that is because studying marine mammals is so difficult to do because they're constantly on the move. And mm-hmm. once you introduce something like a boat with divers, their natural behavior is obviously going to be affected by whoever's around them, right? Well, Ken and his researchers found a, uh, a cove in Hawaii where this pod of spinner dolphins would return every night to sleep, which is super unusual because they're always on the move. And they were able to set up basically the equivalent of blinds to watch them. And they learned so much stuff about language and communication. And they have signature codas, which is basically names. They name each other. Um, their echolocation is, can do things that we can't possibly duplicate with technology. Um, I w- volunteered at a place called Long Marine Laboratory and worked on um, uh, marine mammal cognition research for a year while I was up there. And so I was working with uh, sea lions and working with them, training them and going through tests and stuff. And the tests were crazy. <laughs> like the tests were amazing to watch, but it wasn't the tests that made you understand how smart these animals were. It was the stuff you were doing when they, we were just hanging out. Like we were playing ball with Rocky, who was one of the sea lions there. And the ball went up over this fence into next to a pool. Um, 
and so Rocky ran up the fence, ran up the, the ramp into the pool area to get, to get the ball. The, but the ball was stuck behind a gate, and he kept looking. He looked at the pool, and he looked at the gate, and he looked at the pool, and he looked at the gate. And you could tell he was like, I don't want to get wet. Like, he just dried <laughs> off. And so he was like, eh, do I get wet? It's the easiest thing to do. And he's like, no. So he, like, backed up and got into a weird position and opened the gate up. Like, or closed the gate so he could get behind it to get the ball, threw the ball over the fence, came out, opened the gate back up, and then came out to keep playing with us. Oh, and my I'm, gosh. I'm like, that's awesome. I'm like, that's, you're just watching these little things that are happening in here. And the other thing that would happen is we do these cognition, <laughs> we did this one test, and Crocky was doing, was rocking it. It was this memory test that we were doing with little boards and matching and stuff. And he was rocking it for like a week. And then he just started doing terrible. And uh, every time they got it right, they got a fish, right? So and he just started doing really bad. We couldn't figure out why he was doing really bad. But then somebody noticed that he'd started turning around and looking at us before he was making choices. So he just got bored. He got lazy and decided he was going to look to see which direction we were looking and then pick that one because he assumed we were looking at the one that, he want, that we wanted him to pick. Oh my god. And gosh. so we had to start wearing sunglasses. <laughs> oh my god. For the test so, and and try to be as, you know, like dead face as possible. Now, I just volunteered there. Like they were brilliant researchers. David uh was the, one of the guy reading up the leading up the research there. Um he was he was amazing and Colleen his uh the the research assistants there were great. I just volunteered there. But I got to be I got to see all of this stuff and work with them and uh actually the only time I've ever been to Chicago was at the Marine Mammal Conference in the early 90s that was in December. Like, oh, sh- God. I, That's the worst time of year to be here. <laughs> it was horrifying, guys. I don't know what you guys are doing in Chicago. It was terrifying. And I grew up in Kentucky. I mean, I've seen winter. Like, this was nuts. It's different. Um, but Shed Aquarium had opened. Uh, they had some belugas there, and they, they had opened some new branch or something like that, and some new wing. And so they decided to have the conference there. And so I got to fly there and, and do that mm. conference and that kind of stuff. So um, so this is the kind of thing I'm talking about. Like, this is what got me super excited. And, you know, I've been talking about using aquatic environments for gaming and that kind of stuff for a really long time. I've been on a lot of podcasts talking about it. But I don't often get to talk too much about just why it excites me so much. Like, these little stories I never get a chance to tell because we're always focusing on game mechanics or, you know, whatever it happens to be, right? Um, marine mammals sleep one hemisphere of the brain at a time. Oh, wow. I want you to think what about that. What does that mean? Wait, what does that mean? So when you fall asleep, you crawl into bed, right? You pull up your covers, and you go unconscious, right? Right, right. Marine mammals don't have that luxury. They can't, they don't have a house, <laughs> They don't even have a, a, a tree to crawl into. You mm-hmm. understand what I'm saying? Like they're constantly yeah. having to deal with movement. So mm-hmm. even just not running into each other, they have to be cogent of what's going on around them. Mm-hmm. So because of that environmental pressure, these mammals that are mammals like us mm-hmm. have developed this ability to sleep one half of their brain at a time while the other half remains awake. I, your, your looks on your faces is is blo- is making me so happy right now. So this is one of the things that Ken Norris had discovered in this in this uh, this cove that these spinner dolphins were going back to because the the pod of spinner dolphins the pods that the name of like a group of dolphins they they would sleep say there was like 
So there was, say there was eight of them, right? So they would sleep next to each other, right? In groups of four, like in a line, right? Lined up. Well, the four on the right, they're... <laughs> it's hard to see if I can explain this on a podcast. So the four on the right would sleep their left hemisphere of the brain at, a t- at, at that time, which means their right hemisphere is awake and their left eye, which is connected cross-brain to the right side of their brain, would be looking to the left. The four on the left would be doing the same thing but looking right. And so what they would be doing is these four, four dolphins on one side would be looking to their buddies on the left, and four, buddies on the, four dolphins on the other side would be looking to their buddies on the right. And the reason they would do that is because... If, say, a shark came in on the, right, mm. on the left-hand side, the dolphins on the right-hand side who are looking left will see those dolphins, see that shark, and they will take off. The dolphins on the left, who have their left eye closed, won't see that shark, but they'll see the other dolphins take off, and they'll know there's a threat, and they'll wake up, and they'll take off. That's insane. It's absolutely bonkers. And you know like- what's, you know what's kind of crazier? There's one land animal that does this as well. It's called what is the it? it's called the spiny echidna, and one of the theories is is that it evolved. Yes, knuckles the echidna. Okay, can yeah, sleep, full can circle. sleep can sleep uh, one hemisphere of the brain at a time. I've been waiting to tell pranks this for a while. So <laughs> he uh, keeps haunting me. Um, the, the theory is that they evolved out of the water, and then went back into the water, and then came back out again. What? So, wow. so here's the thing, like the thing with marine mammals, if you ever go to a, a museum and look at a skeleton of like a, like a whale, right, their dorsal fins, those front big fins, the bones in there look exactly like a hand. So if you can look this up on the internet if you want, x-rays show they basically have the exact same as a five-fingered hand structure. There's no reason for them to have a five-fingered hand structure. In addition to that, if you go to a, in one of the museums and look at, like I said, like a big, big skeleton like a blue whale look toward the back where about where their hip would be and you're going to see a bone that's just floating in the middle of nowhere there's just a bone hanging out attached to nothing and it's a vestigial hip bone from when they evolved out of the water (laughs) came out of the water and then went decided that sucked and then went back into the water (laughs) and then then started de-evolving basically uh these things that they didn't need anymore so, I don't. I, I, every time I learn something new, just about marine mammals, nothing about anything else. I'm going to talk about in a minute, which is also going to freak you out. But <laughs> this just marine mammals is why I got so fascinated by them. Somehow they have. I mean, the whole idea that they can sleep one hemisphere of the brain at a time completely redefines everything about what we knew at the time. What that sleep was. Because yeah. hmm. they're, ma- they're mammals. They have the same needs and effective physio- physiological needs that we do. They breathe air. They just breathe air differently than we do. And we always thought that it was a requirement because we'd never seen anything else that you just had to go unconscious when you sleep. Like completely unconscious. Hmm. And they're, they're awake. And then the question came up, like, do they dream? Do they go into REM sleep? Like, what happens when they do this? Do they do REM sleep in one brain at a hemisphere at a time? Is that possible? Like, what... What is this? Like, I attended a dream physiology conference while I was at Santa Cruz as well because the thing I wanted to go into, the thing I wanted my PhD to be focused on was marine mammal sleep physiology because of this kind of thing. It's just, it's incredible. And then if you look at their echolocation, their echolocation's bonkers. You can, 
you can give a dolphin you give a dolphin a a a cylinder of metal right so there's a cylinder of metal and you like just drill a hole through the middle of it and you make that cylinder of metal exactly the same size but you make it out of different metals right so the different metals will have subtly different densities the dolphin can pick every single one of them out for you you can take a you can take a a handful like one of the experiments they did they took like 200 wood pencils and they put one plastic pencil that looked exactly the same as the rest of the pencils in it the dolphin just picks it out immediately because the echolocation, when they, when they echolocate, they send out this signal, right? So that the big bump on the front of a dolphin's head isn't their brain. That's not a skull. That's actually called a melon. It's a big, fatty lens. And so the back of their head has their nose, basically. The little blowhole on the top is effectively their nose. And they make these noises behind the melon. And then the melon, they can warp it with muscles, to move it like a lens, just like you were adjusting a lens on a telescope. And so they send these sound waves out that bounce off objects and come back to their lower jaw. So you know how they have like bone density or like bone transmitting microphones and stuff like that now? Like, mm, yeah. It works on the same principle, but in the case of a dolphin, it comes back to the tip of their jaw that's way out in the front and travels through their jaw and goes straight into where their ear is. And it makes us makes a an audio picture in their head, just like light bouncing off an object and coming back, and that we can we can see through a transparent object because the light goes through it and comes back. It's the same thing with dolphins. They can tell when each other's pregnant. They basically have natural ultrasounds. And they've been shown to basically celebrate like pregnancies. So it's in, it's insane. What they, can, what they can do with this. And we've been trying to study it for a long time for medical purposes and all that kind of stuff. But it's, it's very difficult to duplicate the effectiveness of it because you're basically dealing with a sentient brain that's interpreting a huge amount of data that we do not have the technology to be able to duplicate yet, right? Yeah, fuck, dude, you're blowing my mind right now. Well, just wait, yeah. because I'm going to get past marine biology here, marine mammals in a minute, and then we're going to oh, talk geez. about what you could watch in Blue Planet 2, right? So okay. So one of the things, so just the second episode of Blue Planet 2 is called The Deep. And as much as I love marine mammals, The Deep fascinates me, like, at a core level. Because I'm going to try to, I'm going to, try to explain this. So when you're at the surface, you and I right now are at one atmosphere of pressure, right? We have the weight of the entire atmosphere of our planet is pushing down on us. It's about 14 pounds per square inch. So the difference between being on the Earth and being in space, the difference is one atmosphere, right? There's no atmosphere in space. We're at one atmosphere, right? The deepest point of the ocean is a, bottom, is a place called the Marianas Trench. It's about 1,100 atmospheres of pressure. So instead of 14 pounds per square inch on your body, if you were down at the bottom of the Marianas Trench, you would have 15,000 pounds of pressure per square inch because of the weight of all of the water that's above you so we have never for for most of human existence we assumed nothing could live down there because light only goes down about 600 feet and then it trickles down maybe another 3,000 feet and then it's just pitch black like your eyes will never adjust there is no light to adjust to pitch black 
right? So there's no solar power to, to charge photosynthesis or anything else down there, right? There's absolutely insane amounts of pressure down there. Like there's no, how could anything live down there, right? And now we know, as we usually find out, we're idiots and that there are, they, in, in, the, in the deep, that episode, that second episode of the deep, you're going to see a creature called a ghost fish. They dropped, they dropped this camera and research equipment to the bottom of the Marianas Trench. The camera can't do much. They can't send signals down to it very well because it's literally miles deep and radio waves don't pass through water. So you have to basically see what passes through in front of your camera and a ghost fish passed in front of the camera. And it's hard for me to describe without first describing how much pressure is down there to understand that this is not like a slug. This is not like a jellyfish. This is a fish. It's a complicated like vertebrate like us just chilling down there in the pitch black in below freezing temperatures with 15,000 pounds per square inch crushing down on it. And it just swims by the camera having lunch. That is a badass fish. Yeah. (laughs) The front of it looks like a fish. You can kind of tell it's a fish. And the back of it almost looks like it's just jelly, right? So it's just like this this, almost this translucent uh, tail that it has. And we've never been able to pull one up alive because as soon as you get it up to a certain distance, it basically just dies or explodes because it doesn't have 15,000 pounds of pressure on it anymore. Whoa, they explode? Well, in some cases with some fish at some depths, a fish keeps buoyancy. Like it stays where it's supposed to because it has something called an air bladder. Mm. Not, mm. All, not all sea creatures have these, but, but fish do. And they're literally a balloon inside the fish. And there's an, there's an air exchange between their blood supply and this, this bladder that holds air. And they can control how much air is in and coming in and out of that bladder so that they can change how high they swim. Well, the thing is, it's just like a balloon, right? You, if you bring that up, if this fish is, it has set its air bladder to be, I don't know, a thousand feet, then you bring it up, then that, that air bladder is going to expand out like crazy, like a balloon and just kill it, right? So this is why we can't, well, one of the reasons we can't bring things up from this depth and have them survive. So seeing a live ghost fish just fly, just float by there at the deepest point in the ocean is insane and then you also get to see hydrothermal vents so hydrothermal vents are these these vents that so the the molten magma the heat from the center of the earth heats water that leaks down into it and that expansion of the the heated water comes shooting up through these vents and so it brings all of this these minerals up from underneath the crust of the earth and so they just spew, just spew out these, they could be clouds, it could be toxic, it could be, you know, it could be not toxic. It's just, it's just a chemical stew that comes up. And then you're going to watch this, you're going to watch Blue Planet 2, and you're going to see this insane amount of life that's just crawling all over these hydrothermal vents, again, at these insane pressures, pitch black, no light, no photosynthesis. Everything is based on chemosynthesis. So there's bacteria that live down there that eat the stuff that comes up through the hydrothermal vents. There's a shrimp that lives on the hydrothermal vents that basically is an aquaculturist. They grow their own food in their mouth. 
So they eat the bacteria I'm talking about, but they keep the bacteria in their mouth to grow and then they just swallow what they need and they keep cultivating them. But the way they have to cultivate it is they have to stick their heads into the hydrothermal vent to get the stuff that's coming up to feed the bacteria. And there's thousands of them. If, 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 you know, if shrimp's buddy Bob gives him a hip check a little too far, he's just going to get cooked. This is four to 500 degree temperatures pouring out of these hydrothermal vents. And then not a foot away is less than freezing. And their little heads can take it? They, just, they go as close as they possibly can to get just enough, just enough of that stuff to feed the bacteria that's in their mouth. And then they swallow it. They're farming inside their mouth. That is the most alien thing I've ever heard. Well, guess what? It's right here on your planet. <laughs> that's metal. Like, yeah. What? Yeah. Okay, so like, Rich, you're talking about Blue Planet 2. Yeah. You're talking about the Marianas Trench. Yes. The only two things I can think about right now <laughs> in relation to what you're describing mm-hmm. are the movie Europa Report. Yep. Good good, good uh, choice, yeah. And I saw it in theaters and I screamed like a, like a child. <laughs> it's, um, it's a scary movie. <laughs> and then the second thing is, uh, I had the book and I had the the accompanying audio cassette tape for the magic school bus on the ocean floor. <laughs> okay. Hell yes. <laughs> in in which the frizz and the children and the bus yeah. and the lizard go to the beach and then drive down through the layers of the ocean to right. explore what each of them is like. Right. And I remember distinctly as a child listening to it over and over again just so I could get the crap scared out of me when they get to the <laughs> trench because right. it's terrifying. Right. It is <laughs> terrifying. And the phrase is literally like, nothing should live here, but look at how much does. And everyone's yeah. like, this is terrible. What? <laughs> <laughs> Allie, it's so funny. This... The one thing that I thought about um, while I was listening to Rich was, God, if I could give him a magic school bus. <laughs> I would love it. I would absolutely God. love it. I would. I mean, yeah, if it was the magic school bus, I would go. I would mm-hmm. go to the trench in mm-hmm. the magic school bus. I don't Rich, know I'd... that you could pay me enough money to get into like a submersible and actually go down there, though. <laughs> Before I let you all go, I've got a little proposition for you. Do you want to be a music legend? Are you a karaoke icon? Do you love to sing in the shower? Then prove your musical abilities with a hilarious new party game, Earworm. In Earworm, players have to recreate their favorite songs with one catch. They can't use any of the lyrics. With over 200 song cards, multiple game modes, and beautiful artwork, Earworm is a welcome addition to any game collection. Want to learn more about Earworm? Check out the Kickstarter campaign on now at www.earwormgame.com. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, we hope you got a little bit hype about this. Or maybe it triggered some interesting ideas for things that you are hype about that you'd like to hype at us. Yeah, please do. Tweet at us. We are at GetHypePod or email us at GetHypePod at gmail.com. We've got a whole list of people that we'd love to get as guests, but we also want to know what you want to hear. Thanks for listening and stay hype. Stay hype, guys. Stay hype, guys.